We turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We read this in connection with the final Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 52. We hear the inspired word of God. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice They sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's well. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not, for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. 
For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which, for which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. On the base of that passage, as well as many others to which we'll make reference, we have the teaching of Lord's Day 52, questions 127, 28, and 29, found on page 27 in the back of our Psalters. Question 127. Which is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is, since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment. And besides this, since our mortal enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, cease not to assault us, do thou, therefore, preserve and strengthen us by the power of thy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that we may not be overcome in the spiritual warfare, but constantly and strenuously may resist our foes till at last we obtain a complete victory. How dost thou conclude thy prayer? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all these we ask of thee because thou, being our King and Almighty, art willing and able to give us all good. And all this we pray for that thereby not we, but thy holy name may be glorified forever. What doth the word amen signify? Amen signifies it shall truly and certainly be. For my prayer is more assuredly heard of God than I feel in my heart that I desire these things of him. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, although justification and sanctification are two distinct benefits... They always accompany one another. Sanctification always flows out of justification. Lord's Day 51 treated the reality of justification as it made reference to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God forgives us on the basis of Christ. He removes all the guilt of sin. Justification is that wonder by which God looks upon the elect sinner and declares him righteous. Declares him justified, just as if he had never committed any sin. That's the wonder of our forgiveness. Before we were guilty, now we're innocent. Declared righteous by the living God and embraced as a friend of God. Our sins are forgiven and we're able to know that Glorious truth so that in turn we forgive those who sin against us. The fifth petition concerned that reality of justification. Now the sixth, the truth of sanctification. Sanctification is the benefit by which those who are justified long for, cry out for, and increasingly are cleansed from the filth and the pollution of their sin. And that's the concern of this petition. Our life with God and our life of obedience with Him. 
Our desire to keep His commandments, to walk in thankfulness before Him. Whereas the fifth commandment concerned our legal standing, this commandment has to do with our actual life, the walk and conduct in the midst of this world. And we pray, deliver us from evil. Don't lead us into temptation. God goes to work on the condition of the believer. And He makes us more sensitive to sin. He works in us a change with regard to our desires and passions. And more and more we seek after the things of God, the things of His glory. God works a marvelous renewal. He not only justifies and declares us righteous, but now He goes to work within us, working that transformation by which we now resist sin and we desire to do what is good. We have a beginning Small beginning, but a beginning of that new obedience. So Jesus not only taught us to pray for forgiveness, he also teaches us, knowing our weakness, to flee to him for deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our desire, as expressed in the beginning of our prayer, is that God's name be hallowed, that God be praised in everything we do. And by the power of the cross, our desire then is that we praise and hallow God by lives of holy obedience before Him. Deliverance from evil, we take as our theme. Noting the threat. Secondly, the prayer that our Lord teaches us. And finally, the confidence. What is the threat? The catechism gives expression to it. We are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand for a moment. Where sin dwells, there can never be perfect sanctification. There can never be the fulfillment of the law as God would demand and require of us. Because sin remains. God's children take sin seriously. No one in this life is without sin. And because of that, We understand the high standard that God provides and we recognize the calling to which God calls us. God requires truth, not just outwardly, but in the inner parts. And although we can try outwardly to conform our lives to His will, we recognize how challenging it is to do so from the heart. I look within myself and I see the remnants of sinful desires, sinful passions, and I know I am not able to live perfectly before the living God. Those who claim that they can live in perfection don't understand the true nature of what it means to be converted. They don't understand the reality of the horror of sin. They merely view sin in a superficial manner. The child of God is a new creature in Christ. He's born of God. He's regenerated by a wonder of a life that's from above. And he's been radically changed. He's not just someone who gives up some bad habits. His innermost heart has been renewed. And he now has that life that's from above. That means that he desires to live now unto Christ. He desires to show forth the praise of God. He's a new creature in Christ. And the Holy Spirit has taken his abode within him. The child of God then is no longer a slave to sin. 
He's freed from the dominion of the evil one. He's changed from death to life, from darkness to light. Now, no Christian would ever dare say that this means that I'm able to be perfect, that I'm able to walk in such a way that there's no sin evident any longer within me. He's united to Christ, but he has that old man of sin, that old nature, that depravity that still clings to him. And in that old nature are the old motions, the old ruts of sin and lust. That's what gives occasion for this prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We're getting at then the wonder of God's work of sanctification. Now how do we understand that glorious wonder of God as He works it in our lives? We're sanctified, first of all, in Christ. And therefore, in Him, we are holy. That's a wonder. And that's true of all of God's children in principle. Now, we say in principle because we realize, though I am holy in Christ, and though I have that holiness, and it characterizes me now, I don't yet have it in all of its fullness. It's not yet completely realized as it will. And that's not going to happen until I die and go to heaven. And then finally when Christ comes again, and after the judgment, when He brings us into the new heaven and the new earth with our bodies and with our souls. I have it, and yet there's still sin within me. And so that's the mystery. That's the wonder here. I'm holy in Christ, and yet sin is a real threat for me. So long as I live in the midst of this life, that old man is still present within me, tempting me. How is it then that you and I, as God's children, live in holiness? How do we grow in obedience? How do we seek after the will of God and desire to be delivered from sin and from evil? We need to understand, this doesn't take place by your strength or mine. This is God's work. This is the wonder of God's grace in the hearts and lives of his children. The temptation is that man thinks that this is his work and that this is something he does. That's a denial of the gospel. This is God's work of grace by his spirit in the heart and life of his children. Just as God alone is able to declare us righteous and to justify us, God alone is able to sanctify us. And he performs that wonder by his grace alone the power of His Spirit. That's evident just from the simple fact that Jesus teaches us to pray this petition. We can't do it. And so what are we called to do? Look to God. We're to pray to God. He's the one who works this wonder. I'm weak. I'm helpless. But Jehovah God needs to work. Not only does He need to forgive me, He also then alone is able to give to me the grace by which I do battle against sin, by which I turn away from sin, by which I resist temptation, and by which I go forward then in His service. God, strengthen me. We cry out to Him. My strength is not found in myself. It's in God alone. And so we understand that we are called to live out of the gospel 
And the gospel is the wondrous message of Jehovah God concerning what He's done for us in Jesus Christ. God has taken me, a sinner, depraved, destined to everlasting destruction, and He's plucked me out of death, and He's given me life. He's delivered me from the bondage of sin, and He's given me the new life that's in Jesus Christ. By the wonder of the gospel, He makes me know that my righteousness is found in Christ. That I am able to go forward as one who believes that I'm forgiven. And God then strengthens us in the knowledge of the gospel and the wondrous reality of what He's done for us in giving us the gift of faith. He joins us to Christ. And now as those who are joined to Christ, we live out of Him. And we confess, I'm united to Jesus Christ by a true and living faith. And that bond is such that nothing can break it. Beloved, that's the wonder of the gospel. That God has reached down to me in the midst of my misery and He's delivered me and He's given me to know forgiveness and hope in Jesus Christ so that my strength is in Him alone. And that's the confession of the believer. I look to Christ. He forgives me and He's the one who strengthens me now so that I can go in His service, and sin no more. And so the believer trusts in the reality that his life is hid in Jesus Christ. Now we can't understand the fullness of this wonder as it's marvelous and as it's beyond our comprehension that Jehovah God already now has given me in principle to know that deliverance, and yet for a time, I do battle against the powers of sin and death. That Jehovah God is the one who entirely works this wonder. And yet He calls me to obey Him, to love Him, and to serve Him. That He's the one who has ordained it all, and yet He ordains prayer as the means by which I look to Him, and I lean on Him, and I depend on Him. Beloved, there's a wonder here. There's a mystery that fully our finite minds are not able to comprehend. But we lay hold upon that wonder that Jehovah God, according to His gospel, has given me a Savior. That He's given me a life that's from above. And now, knowing that wonder, I live out of that covenant calling that He has placed upon me. He comes to you and me and He says, I am Jehovah. I have taken you to be my own. Now love me with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He comes with admonition. But the admonitions are always based on the gospel. And he works in us the knowledge that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I hear the command. I hear the must. And I'm able to know that that command, that must, is based on the gospel and the wonder of the fact that Christ lives within me, and the life that I live is not my own. This is what God has done for me. Now this is how God would have me to live. This is what God has done for me. That's how the law opens. I am the Lord thy God. I'm delivered you from the bondage of sin. I brought you out of Egypt into Canaan. Now here's how you are to live. As my covenant children, show forth my praise. 
abound in my service. You are my renewed children. And as my renewed children, this is how you are to live. You're to live out of Christ. You're to show forth His praise. You're joined to the vine, Jesus Christ. And as one who's connected to Christ, you will bring forth fruit. You will resist evil. You will walk in obedience. Again, beloved, sanctification flows from justification. What has God done for me? Now, flowing out of that is the wonder of the calling that He places upon me and the truth that He works within me. Abide in Christ. Bring forth fruit. Without Christ, you can do nothing. But you have Him. You've been joined to Him. And now show forth His praise. As those then who are united to Christ, living in the midst of this world, yet doing battle against that sinful flesh, we fight. And we're called to fight. It's the Christian who's perfect in principle, but yet very imperfect with regard to our bodies, which still include our sinful natures. It's that one who cries now from the depths of his redeemed and regenerated heart, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The one who's not united to Christ will never pray the petition. It's the one who's united to Christ. And the child of God then doesn't boast in what he's done, doesn't boast in what he's able to accomplish. He confesses, my best works are yet defiled with sin. They can never be the basis for me to stand before God in Judgment Day. But I'm united to Christ by faith. That's my hope. And as one who lives out of Christ, I now do battle against the powers of sin and darkness. Now intensifying this threat is the reality that we have enemies. And so not only do we have that sinful nature yet that's inclined to sin, We have enemies, our mortal enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh cease not to assault us. Now we know that the devil is the head who rules all of the rest. And therefore he's called the tempter in the scriptures. He's Satan. He's the adversary. He seeks to lead astray, to destroy. And we know the tactics that the devil makes use of. He entices men to sin by False promises of pleasure and satisfaction. Just follow me and there will be greater joy, greater pleasure. He brings men and women into situations where we're weak and we're easily enticed by the devil. He suggests evil thoughts and wonderfully well, he influences our minds so that We begin to think upon those things that are wicked and sinful. The devil knows how to darken our understanding so that we don't perceive good and evil and we choose what's wrong instead. Sometimes Satan comes with all of his force and he drives us into a sin. Other times he comes very subtly, makes use of clever means at his disposal. He appears to be an angel of light sometimes. 
Sometimes the way in which he brings the church down to apostasy is through men who have seemingly good motives but are lax with regard to discipline, lax in maintaining good order. So clever the devil is in so many different ways at work in the church, at work in our lives. And the devil is the prince of this world. And so the world obeys him. Now by world, we understand here the world of sin, the philosophy, the lusts, the mind of the world that's all centered around man and man's work and man's desires. The wicked people of the world tempt and seduce and they use their worldliness, they use their flattering to entice. Sometimes they persecute those who won't pursue the will the way that they desire to go. The devil, so active. The world, increasing in sin and wickedness. Now the devil and the world would not be nearly as effective as they are if it were not that there was a traitor within us. And that's our own sinful nature that is inclined toward the devil and inclined toward the way of the world. And so that depravity that remains within us, those motions of sin, that carnal spirit rises up against God, takes hold of the temptations that the devil brings, lays hold upon the ways of the world. And so that Romans 7 and Galatians 5 verse 17 summarize that struggle. Doth a spirit lust against the flesh, and the flesh lusteth also against the spirit. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So that becomes, beloved, the occasion for this prayer. Knowing who I am, a renewed child of God, who's a new creature in Christ, who's living in the midst of this world, yet with the remnants of sin within me, I pray. The Catechism puts it this way, Do thou preserve and strengthen us by the power of thy Holy Spirit that we may not be overcome in this spiritual warfare, but constantly and strenuously may resist our foes till at last we obtain a complete victory. This is a prayer that rises out of a heart that knows the horror of sin, and is fearful of falling into that sin. Fearful of the consequences. The soul who knows the power of sin prays this prayer. And why do we pray this prayer? Because I love God. And because I know the joy of communion and fellowship with God. And because of my love for God, I desire to do what God wants me to do. I delight in God's will and God's way. I know the sorrow of sin. I know the consequences of sin. I want to do everything in my power to maintain that walk that's in accordance with God and His will. And so I desire with my heart to glorify and to praise God in everything. As we read... In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That's the burning desire of the child of God who knows the gospel, who's a new creature in Christ. 
And so he prays this prayer on the basis of God's promises. Now, God's promises are many in the Scriptures, but again, we read of one here in chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. That's God's promise. And so the child of God prays, lead us not into temptation, deliver me from evil, on the basis of that promise of God. In Psalm 37, verse 24, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. We're going to fall, but God will not allow us to be cast off, because he's holding us by his hand and preserving us. Now, the Bible translates, as we noted, this word that's used for temptation either as trial or temptation. And we noted in connection with First Peter the differences between a temptation and trial. Just briefly, a temptation is from the devil. The devil is the tempter. God does not tempt, according to James 1, verses 13 and 14. It's the devil who tempts. And the devil, when he tempts, comes at all men. And he does so with hatred. He does so with the desire to use the lie to lead them into the ways of sin. Jehovah God is the one who tests His children. He is the one who does so out of love. He does so with a view to their being strengthened in their faith. And He does so only toward His elect who are the objects of that love. Now we realize that as the sovereign God, God is sovereign over both temptations and trials. And that's evident from this prayer again. If God was not sovereign, why would we pray? Lead us not into temptation. God is sovereign, even though the devil's the one who's tempting. Now part of God's sovereignty is either to be keeping us from being led down the path of temptation or to lead us and allow us down that path because it's the only way necessary to teach us certain spiritual lessons that are necessary to humble us, to teach us. And so here is where that petition comes from then. As a child of God, knowing that God at times may be pleased to allow me and even ordains to fall into sin that I might be taught, I prefer not that hard way. As a child of God, I desire that that not be necessary, if at all possible. And so we cry out to God, don't make me need to learn the hard way. The hard way is to allow that evil to grow in my life. That I ignore it. I don't listen to the preaching. I don't listen to my parents. I don't listen to those around me. And in time, I fall, I stray farther and farther away from the Bible. I don't submit to the Scriptures. Now, God's not mocked. God will see to it that every last one of His children will be brought back to Him. But sometimes it occurs in the way of then being burned badly, suffering severe sins and the consequences of them, scars 
that though they're forgiven, will remain with us the rest of our lives. We pray, Lord, not that way. Lord, not that way. Now again, we understand that the devil here is under God's sovereign control. There are times when that temptation, that trial, constitutes the same event. Perhaps we're surfing the internet on our phones, and our computer. We come across a suggestive ad. A picture maybe pops up. And we're faced with a trial and a temptation. The devil tempts us. Just look. Lust. Pursue that. God tests us. Are you going to delete it and move on? The same event. A temptation from the devil becomes a trial from the living God. Now, when God causes afflictions to fall upon us, the devil then quickly takes that occasion to try to turn us from God. He uses that situation now to test our faith, to strengthen our resolve, to turn away from God. Whereas God is using it to draw us to himself. Now, beloved, negatively, we must understand then what this prayer is not. When we say, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, we're not saying, God, keep us out of all of the circumstances or situations that might constitute temptation. That would be impossible. That would mean that we'd have to be taken out of this world. It'd be a prayer then to die. It's God's will that his children be tempted, that we experience trials. This is not a prayer then to escape the world. Some try to do that. Monks tried to isolate themselves from society, thinking that in that way they could avoid temptation, that they could avoid the things of the world around them. But they found out they couldn't avoid their own personal sinful nature. Those lusts were still there. And so it is with Mennonites, Amish sects, who tried to isolate themselves as much as they can from the world and its influences They're no more holy as a result because yet their sinful natures are present within them. We turn to God recognizing how weak we are and having that motivation to glorify Him in everything that we are. We desire Him to preserve and to keep us, not to lead us into temptation. He's sovereign. He's the one that's ruling over all things. We're going to face temptation. It's a reality in the midst of this world. Our prayer is, Lord, don't bring me into that temptation so that I fall. Give me the courage to stand, to withstand by thy power and to overcome. Give me to know that way out, that way of escape that is promised in verse 13 here. But he will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. I'm tempted to curse God. I'm tempted to mock God. I'm tempted to drink, to get drunk. I'm tempted to commit adultery. I'm tempted to violate the Sabbath. I'm tempted to break the laws of the land, to strike out in anger toward those around me. Lord, give me the power not to be led into those temptations so far as I fall into them. Help me to do battle against 
my sinful nature. Help me to grow in self-control and the grace of thy spirit. Now God is the ultimate one who leads us into temptation. Does that mean that he's the author of sin again? No. Does it mean that he's the one who actually tempts? No. And again here, beloved, we have the mystery how God works in such a marvelous way. He's not the author, and yet he has the power over temptation, over sin. Otherwise, there would be no reason to pray this petition. If the devil had the same power as God, why pray? If God is powerless, why pray? But although there's a mystery here, God is sovereign, and yet not the author of sin. God is the one to whom we cry out. God alone can preserve us. And he will preserve every last one of his children unto the glory that awaits. The devil, the world, and our sinful nature are constantly setting snares. How will we stand? The child of God knows my heavenly Father is my only hope. I have been given to know His love, His goodness, and His mercy. And I cry out to Him. Now we might ask ourselves this question, why would my heavenly Father ever so lead me that I have to stumble and that I have to fall into temptation? And beloved, we realize there's many reasons, some of which are laid out in the Bible. One may be that God desires to teach us a lesson so that we can be cured of our sinful pride. Verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There are times when we look down on others. We think ourselves to be stronger than them. And then God needs to teach us, no, of yourself you're nothing. You cannot stand for a moment. And God then has to teach us that difficult lesson in the way of our being humbled in our sin. Pride often stands at the heart of the lusts of the world. The Bible talks about the pride of life. And God at times causes us to stumble in our pride, to humble us. God ordained the fall of David, the fall of Peter, and many others, in order that through their falls, they might be strengthened. And what was that strength? To see themselves as they really were, weak, and to lean on God more fully as the only one able to sustain them. Deliver us from evil. The positive expression here is to be freed from the power of the evil one or the devil. Now there's a sense in which it's not really a separate petition, but a positive side of the first. Knowing the wonder of our forgiveness, we desire to walk a new and holy life. And we desire to be freed from temptation and from the power of evil, recognizing the power of both. So that this petition, though, goes beyond. Deliver us. It's a prayer for preservation, a prayer for victory. As one who is a new creature in Christ, I need God to keep me. I need God to preserve me. I cannot stand in my own strength. 
But it's more than just to be preserved in this world. This world is only temporary. It's not final. It's more than just being preserved now. If we think of this analogy, preservation is like being thrown a life preserver while we're drowning. And so we're being kept afloat by that life preserver. Preserve me from temptation. God is keeping us afloat in a sense in the midst of the temptations of this world. But now we say we're not content just to be kept afloat. We're not content just to be maintained here in this world. We long to get out of this body of sin. And that's where this second aspect of it is a prayer for the final glory that God has for us in Jesus Christ. It's a longing and a desire for the full realization of that which now I have in principle. I have it. And yet, I long for the full realization of it. When there will be no more temptation, no more battles against sin. It's a desire for the life that's with God to all eternity. Evil is the opposite of life. All that stands contrary to true life with God is evil. And so we need to be honest when we stand before the living God. What is the evil in my life against which I need to do battle? And am I doing battle with that evil? Am I praying this petition in sincerity? Or do I pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil? And then I go put myself in a situation immediately of temptation. Beloved, we examine our lives in light of the gospel. And we're given to know, I am forgiven. My entrance into the mansion of the Father is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not anything of myself. But he's given me to know that I am his own. And I've been brought into his presence. And I can do all things through him who is my strength. And now, by that power, I examine the whole of my life. I cast my life under the inspection of the Word of God. And I pray for the grace to overturn every aspect of my life and expose that sin that yet remains within me. That I don't run away from that evil, but I seek to expose it. That I don't run into that evil, but I confess it before Christ. That I know my strength to do so is only in Him. Everything that stands in the way of my communion and fellowship with the living God is evil. Am I selfish and short with my children? Am I glorifying God in my marriage? Am I fleeing the evil of selfishness in my life? Am I fleeing the evil of hurting those close to me with my sharp tongue? Am I fleeing all the addictions in my life? Not making excuses, confessing them as addictions, as evil, and praying for the grace to be delivered from those idols. And that's what they are, an idol, something that I've erected in the place of my God. Deliver me. Now, why is it so important to pray this prayer? I am weak, the catechism says. I know myself. I know how weak I am. I cannot stand for a moment. Praying this petition, beloved, we extol God. We confess God is my help. 
God is my strength. And this petition keeps us focused on him alone. We also know the enemy. We know the devil. We don't minimize his attacks. He ceases not to assault me. So foolishly at times we think, oh, I can stand, I can do this or that. You can't, beloved. Lord, help me, is our prayer. As long as sin has power in me, I need this prayer. As long as sin has power within me, I'm going to fall. But already now, I have the victory in Jesus Christ. God has accomplished that glorious salvation. And I look to Him for the power by which He will preserve and keep me. The doxology actually explains our prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Because God's is the kingdom and the power and the glory, we can pray as we do. Because God is the power, and that power is at work in my life, I seek first the things of his kingdom as I expressed in prayer. Prayer begins, it ends with God. And we show from this doxology that thankfulness to God. Finally, beloved, amen, is how we conclude our prayer. And that expresses firmness. It expresses steadfastness, immovableness. Amen, according to the catechism, signifies it shall truly and certainly be. That's beautiful, especially the way the catechism explains it. For my prayer is more assuredly heard of God than I feel in my heart that I desire these things of me. I look at myself and I'm ashamed. Do I really want to overcome temptation? Do I really want to expose evil in my life? Do I really want to seek God's will alone? Amen. Is that petition which makes known that our prayers on the basis of what God has done and what God will do. It's on the basis of God's promises. We declare before God, my prayer is true. This is the desire of my heart as a redeemed child of God. And even though I pray in weakness, even though I realize that I don't always desire as I ought that for which I pray. God knows my heart. And God knows my desire to live unto Him and to show forth His prayer. We stand then at the end also of the Heidelberg Catechism with this Amen. And with thanksgiving, we can express that resounding gratitude and thankfulness and confidence. The Catechism opened with what is your only comfort in life and in death? see our sin, our misery, the deliverance that's in Christ, and now the way of thankfulness. And God works in our hearts by which we lay hold upon that marvelous gospel and standing before that precious truth, having been led to the cross again and again, we know the certainty of our salvation. We know the wonder by which that comfort is mine Because I am not my own. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Everything based on God. The God of the covenant, whose promises are amen and amen. So let it be. That's the response also that we give. Living in the enjoyment of that only comfort that we show forth his praise now and to all eternity. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, forgive us. Strengthen us in the midst of this battle of sin and give unto us what we need in order to look to Thee, knowing Thy faithfulness, Thy mercies, and Thy compassions that fail never. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.